Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Titus, Summary of the Letter. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning international audience. We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. A special note. Last week, we installed a different microphone of ours. It was a bit bass-heavy. We apologize for any issues this may have caused. This issue is now fixed. We also will be purchasing a new microphone in the coming days. Please check out our show notes for links to our home website and other information you may want to know. Our show notes are found with every episode. We are located on 22 platforms. Check out the list under the podcast menu item on our homepage, found at unchurch.site123.me. Last week, March 21st, we examined the grace of God towards mankind. We learned immediately that we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. Heirs? A confident expectation of eternal life? That is a hugely bold statement that carries with it great certainty from Scripture. We also learned, once we are saved in Christ, we have work to do as well. We are not to be empty-handed when we account for what we have done in this life since the first day of our salvation in Christ. We noticed that Scripture said, and it is the duty of the saints, the saints being you and me, and it is the duty of you and me, the saints, to love one another as well as it being our happiness. This week, we are in our next-to-last portion of our study in the book of Titus. We will see that engaging in good works is good and beneficial for all people. Does that include the unsaved? It seems to be the case. Let me ask you this. If it does not include the unsaved, if we are allowed to treat them poorly, then how do we present to them anything that is different that they would want. In Scripture, we read, This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on such truths, so that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent on engaging in good works. These things are good and beneficial for all people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, quarrels, and fights about the law because they are useless and empty. Reject a divisive person after one or two warnings. You know that such a person is twisted by sin and is conscious of it himself. 
from Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Let us also read that in this version. Faithful is the word, and concerning these things I desire you strongly to affirm that the once believing God should take thought to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men, but keep back from foolish questionings and genealogies and arguments and quarrels of law, for they are unprofitable and vain. After the first and second warning, avoid a man of heresy, knowing that such a one has been perverted and sins being self-condemned. From Green's Literal Translation We should first notice that verse 8 is gentle but strongly insistent. We are instructed to insist on such truths, and we are to strongly affirm that the ones believing God should take thought to maintain good works. So, that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent. That was a combination of both translations to better drive home the point that we are not to be lazy in our walk in Christ. Some might call it being intentional. I think that helps, but Scripture is clear. We are to insist on such truths, and we are to strongly affirm that the ones believing God should take thought to maintain good works. Why? So that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent. To avoid confusion of word meaning, let us look at the meaning of the word intent. It means, literally, having the mind strained or bent on an object, hence fixed closely, sedulously applied, eager in pursuit of an object, anxiously diligent, the stretching of the mind towards an object, hence a design, a purpose, intention. From Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of American English. So, we are not talking about the intentional movement as it can sound. We are talking about having intent in our living in Christ and our witness of Him. Strongly assertive in motive and purpose might be a better expression where the word intent is used. Today, in America, we would say we are deliberate rather than intent. We could also say we are strongly assertive. Regardless, we are talking about the same degree of being deliberate, strongly assertive, or intent. Therefore, this discussion has nothing to do with the intentional movement as found in America these days. It is more about our certainty of our salvation. We are to be so certain of our salvation that no contrary thought, regardless of how well formed, can change our minds and hearts 
from what we believe. We can also say that if we are deliberate, strongly assertive, or intent in our salvation and witnessing of it, we do not back down when we are confronted by others strongly. However, we do not also become quarrelsome as we have already learned. Therein lies the problem for us who are saved. How do we deal with strongly insistent others when we feel the same way about our faith in Christ? This is the foothold of quarrelsome issues that degenerates any witness of God we are trying to convey. It degenerates into anything other than our original intention of witnessing the love of Christ and his salvation for those who are unsaved. If we get locked in this foothold, our witness loses all its weight to sway someone to come to Christ. Jesus was deliberate with profound ability to judge each situation so as to always call things correctly without descending into a quarrelsome quagmire, as we can, so easily. Let us see what commentary has to say for further understanding. When the grace of God towards mankind has been declared, the necessity of good works is pressed. Those who believe in God must make it their care to maintain good works, to seek opportunities for doing them being influenced by love and gratitude. From Matthew Henry's Concise Commentary on the Whole Bible, Public Domain. That is interesting. If I am a person who is unsaved, it appears that Matthew Henry is telling us that the need for good works to be pressed is there. Therein lies a question are we incapable of good works as many unsaved people show themselves? Just from examining life, it appears the answer to that question is no. Many people, not saved in Christ, do good works. Not consistently or in an ongoing way, nor in the suggested charge by Scripture here, but they do do them nonetheless. Proof of this is found in daily news about this pandemic we are presently in. Regardless of the state of one's salvation, people are doing good works. What good works are you doing in pandemic times? Also, could it be implied that we are talking about duty and responsibility as one who is saved? The answer to that question the second sentence in commentary helps us. Notice how it read. Those who believe in God must make it their care to maintain good works. Comma. So, while all of us, saved or not, can do a good work, it is more incumbent upon us who are saved to make it our duty and responsibility to perform good works regularly every day. This is supported by reading past that comma where it says, 
to seek opportunities for doing them. Them being the good works of discussion here. So, we who are saved in Christ are not only charged with doing good works, but we are to seek opportunity for doing them. Again, not only is it our responsibility to do good works, we are also supposed to be looking for an opportunity to do good works as well. Our drive for this comes from us being influenced by love and gratitude. What love? What gratitude? For obvious openers, our love of God and our gratitude for Him saving us when we asked Him. That love and gratitude should also be extended by us to all men and women, saved or not. This is the obvious marker that others see, as well as tells them, because of Christ in our lives, we are different in a way that others want. If we look like everybody else, our witness to those unsaved is effectively killed. We supposedly walk out our faith, or not so much. In America, it is more now than ever, not so much. Yes, there are those doing and working their calling in Christ, but fewer and fewer with each passing month, regardless of these pandemic times. This observed downward trend began long before this pandemic occurred. The pandemic has only served to make this downward trend more obvious, sad to say. To get this life anywhere near right, we need Christ's love and gratitude in us spilling over into our witness to others, so they see we have something they should also want as well. Whether we have influential jobs or a prominent place socially or not, it is the strength of our lives in Christ and the witness of that to others that will cause them to see something that those unsaved lack. Some people are poor no matter where you go in this world. The Bible says, the poor will always be among you. Therefore, how can a wealthy person witness salvation to poor people when he or she has never been poor? This is why some who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior are poor and will most likely remain poor until they go home to be with the Lord. The reason I say that is, anyone who teaches that you become financially rich when you become saved is preaching or witnessing something that cannot be found in any legitimate Bible edition. Not even so much as a promise that your finances will change for the better. On the subject of wealth, the Bible tells us that we are rich in Christ, not money. I think this commentary passage sums this up nicely. It reads, These things, these results of doctrine, good works, are good and profitable unto men, whereas no such practical results flow from foolish questions, from 
Robert Jameson, A.R. Fawcett, and David Brown commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible, 1871. That really says it all in summing up this portion. Again, the results of doctrine, good works, are good and profitable unto men, whereas no such practical results flow from foolish questions. Titus continues, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, quarrels, and fights about the law, because they are useless and empty. From Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Commentary helps us understand better what is written here. Avoid, stand aloof from from the Greek as in, but avoid profane chatter because those occupied with it will stray further and further into ungodliness and their message will spread its infection like gangrene. Hymenius and Philetus are in this group. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 16 through 17. Please note, Verse 16 is referenced. I included verse 17 for the complete thought in Scripture. Continuing in commentary. Foolish, from the Greek. Insipid, producing no moral fruit. Vain talkers. Genealogies, akin to the, quote, fables, end quote. As I urged you when I was leaving for Macedonia, Stay on in Ephesus to instruct certain people not to spread false teachings, nor to occupy themselves with myths and interminable genealogies. Such things promote useless speculations rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Again, verse 3 was added for the full sentence. Commentary continues still. Again, genealogies akin to the fables. Not so much direct heresy as yet is here referred to as profitless discussions about genealogies of eons which ultimately led to Gnosticism. Synagogue discourses were termed deriscoth, that is, discussions, compare disputer of this world, in the Greek, dispensation, strives about the law, about the authority of the commandments of men, which they sought to confirm by the law. See in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, and about the mystical meanings of the various parts of the law in connection with the genealogies. From Robert Jameson, A.R. Fawcett, and David Brown Commentary, Critical and Explanatory on the Whole Bible, 1871. What is this word deriscoth? It means preach, literally, quote, proclaim as a herald, end quote. The term for the discourses in the synagogue was deriscoth, the corresponding Greek term implying dialectical 
or style, dialogue, and discussion is applied in Acts to discourses in the Christian Church. From Robert Jameson, A.R. Fawcett, and David Brown Commentary. It is also proper to chase this word meaning as well, dialectical. The art or practice of arriving at the truth by the exchange of logical arguments. Now, let's reread that commentary passage with the word meanings instead. Genealogies, akin to the quote, fables, end quote. Not so much direct heresy as yet is here referred to as profitless discussions about genealogies of eons, which ultimately led to Gnosticism. Synagogue discourses were termed as proclaiming as a herald for the discourses in the synagogue, that is, the corresponding Greek term implying style, dialogue, and discussion is applied in Acts to discourses in the Christian church. All that explains what has happened in many, not all, but many American churches presently resulting in both saved and unsaved people becoming increasingly unchurched. Notice how this passage of Scripture closes. Reject a divisive person after one or two warnings. You know that such a person is twisted by sin and is conscious of it himself. These two verses are quite clear. Why do you, quote, reject, unquote, a person after warning them one or two times? Verse 11 tells us why. You know that such a person is twisted by sin and is conscious of it himself or herself. Meaning, there are more who are sinners and refuse any other form of life. They will insistently, at times, reject you and whatever ministry you are trying to work. Here, we are instructed to warn such a person once or twice, only. Then, we employ or set our actions per verse 11. Not everyone is going to heaven. This is a fact, and the parable of the sower explains why. In closing, seeds fell where they would grow well and a harvest would be had. Other seeds fell on the footpath and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep, yet they were scorched at the rising of the sun. Then there was a fourth type of seed that fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. This parable alone says, at best, only 25% of all those to whom we witness Christ will solidly receive him as their Lord and Savior. Even on a best day, we say that is not a good number, and there must be a way we can improve that number. In contrast to this parable in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, 
it would seem that improving that number will be difficult. If that depresses you, do the math. If 25% of the world's population from Adam and Eve to now is accounted for, heaven will need to be a very huge place. Millions of people will be there. I truly hope you will be counted when we all arrive. Next week, we will look at the last part in our examination of Titus. May you all be blessed this Easter. May it be a great time for you, family, and friends, even while in a pandemic. Play or download next week's episode, Titus, Final Instructions and Greeting from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation free version. Also, please check our show notes for links to our website and other information you may want to know. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you will find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on 22 podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a podcast platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts, and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.